The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If you or someone you know has a child with autism in their family, answers and support can be hard to come by. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. We will offer practical information for parents of children of all ages, as well as explore treatment topics and recent research related to autism. Now, here is this week's host. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Rob Haupt. I am the Vice President of Business Development at Autism Spectrum Therapies, as well as a board-certified behavior analyst uh, with over 10 years' experience working with individuals with autism. Um, Really excited about this week's show um, because I feel like it's really current for what is happening in in all of our lives. Um, And it's a a show today where I want to talk a little bit about insurance. Uh, It's the topic that we're coming into uh, as a field, as an industry. Um, but I also want to look at it um, with the, the new year ahead. Uh, what should we be thinking about um, when we think about selecting a plan um, and looking at what's necessary to support our kids um, as we go into a new calendar year? Uh, but before we do that, I, I, want to, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about uh, this amazing conversation I had, and and I actually was able to lead it, which was really cool. I know uh, last week when Elaine Hall was on the show, uh, I just said in passing that one of the things that we do at AST is we actually bring in some of our clients' uh, parents. We bring in our actual clients who are a little bit older and are able to articulate what their goals are, what their program was like, what they liked and disliked about our program. And we just got to do that at the tail end of last week. And we got to bring in a client who, who I know really well. I, I, spent, I spent years with him, uh, working with him. I was actually his supervisor for an for extended period of time. Um, and what I love about his perspective is that I've known him off and on for probably about seven years. And he didn't get services from us the whole time. He actually uh, was getting services when I met him or just starting up services. And we worked together in the home as well as in his school. And then we took a break. And then he came back and we started up home services again, working on completely different types of goals, completely different type of focus. And he came and spoke to us and I had the honor of actually being the one who got to interview him and lead this conversation and this dialogue in front of the leadership of AST. And I was expecting some great words of wisdom from him uh, in his, in only the way he can, because he's just one of those speakers. He loves getting in front of a room Uh, To have a conversation is a bit of a struggle, but get him on the stage in a performance, and he really commands the stage. 
And, and he definitely did that for us. But he, he had a couple of moments and said a few things that it's not exactly what he said, but just this general message. He, he, he's college age and he's not taking college courses now, but he's looking to his future. And he, he was shared with everyone in the room what his goals were, what he was looking for in his life. And he kept coming back to one word. I want to be independent. I want to be an independent person. And he, he was well aware that he had a diagnosis of autism. He could articulate it. He could even articulate what that meant to him in a way. Um, but he kept coming back to, I want to live by myself. I want to have a girlfriend. I want to have a job. These are the jobs I think I want to have. And his mom summed things up for us because she joined, um, as did his dad, to, to watch him speak. And, and we all thought he did an incredible job. But what really capped it off for me is uh, I think hearing his mom put what was everything into perspective for me, that seven years ago he started at point A. And now there's still – a lot to do, and there's a lot of stuff we want to work on. And he even told us some of the things he wants to work on, certain goals he wants to work on. He's got a, a, a lot of anxiety, and he has some situations that cause him a little bit of fear that he wants to become more comfortable with, and we're going to work on a desensitization program. But he said, or she said, you have no idea how far we've come. And whatever, whatever it is we have to do, I can't even see where we started from. I can't even imagine that starting off point. It's a distant memory. And that put things into perspective for me in such a great way because I was so focused on moving forward, keep moving, keep pushing, let's hit the next goal, that I needed to take a moment and appreciate, wow, we did, we really came far. And when he could say it and she could say it, it just was this amazing moment and it's a great experience to see 30, 40 leaders of an organization in tears of, of happiness. And, and he actually whispered to me, why is everyone crying? He, he didn't quite get that social cue. And I, and I had to explain to him, they're just really proud of you and these are happy tears. And he got that. He totally got that. Um, but it was just an amazing moment. And to see that many people touched and moved by someone's words, and that much more dedicated to the day-to-day. -day. So with dedication as that closing thought of, of this amazing speaker, um, I think that's what where we're going to go next. And um, all of you guys who listen across the country, I, I think this is a topic, insurance, that you're all affected by. We're all trying to understand. Uh, I've said on the show before that I believe insurance is the future of ABA and autism and, and where funding comes from. I've already seen it make a big difference in a lot of people's lives. But there's a lot more we need to understand. And it occurred to me that right now is open enrollment. I, uh, AST is about to open up enrollment for the insurance to our employees. And I've started to get a lot of calls from families saying, hey, I don't want to start services right away. We're about to switch plans. Or how do I move from plan A to plan B? Or are my plans just going to be affected by open enrollment? And it didn't even occur to me, you know, as recently as a few weeks ago, that wow, we've got to talk about this. We've got to look at plans. We've got to look at funding a little differently with this idea of open enrollment and that a family's plan or a child's plan 
could go through changes. It's not static like uh, school IEP or state funding that has similar laws and the same rules year after year. So today I've brought on uh, someone who I work very closely with, the, the first person I turned to. Uh, I brought in the client advocate and insurance advocate here at AST. Um, her name is Crystal Bell, and to, to put this into perspective for you guys, uh, about a year ago we had the idea of forming our own team here at AST to work with insurance companies, take in calls from families, and, and really help and assist and guide families through the authorization process. Because from firsthand experience, I tried making the call for a few families early on when the California mandate first passed and when we first started working with families in New Orleans. And I couldn't believe the, the time it took, the, the two hours of phone calls being pushed back and forth that not even maliciously, but because people at the insurance company didn't fully understand what is autism, what is ABA, what does the law cover, who should I speak to? So we brought on this team of folks, and, and it started with Crystal Bell, who for the last year has just been the backbone of everything that we do with insurance, especially everything that I do with insurance. And is the person who backs me up to allow me to host a show like this and stay cutting edge and stay up to date to understand not just where the law is going, what are some of the processes and procedures, how does ABA fit into this, but this is what is happening on a day-to-day -day basis. She, she is that. And when you talk about dedication and, and the time and the commitment she has to kids, it's, it's unparalleled. It, it's on the level of any clinician I've ever met. And she's on the phone every day advocating and supporting kids and families. So, Crystal, thank you so much for being here. I know uh, an hour of your day could be filled with constant phone calls with insurance companies. So I'm glad you were able to take a break and join us. Thank you, Rob. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes before our first commercial. But I, I think the, the first best com uh, question for families out there is probably just a review question of uh, what are the critical documents for a family who's saying, I want to go down this road, I want to get insurance started for my child to fund ABA, what documents and information do they need to have to get this process started? Um, well, first of all, um, we would need, um, in order to get approval, we would need a copy of the diagnostic report that clearly indicates a diagnosis of an ASD a copy of the front and back of the insurance card, as well as some basic information about the client, such as home address, contact information for parents. Um, we do have a form that we ask parents to complete um, when they contact us and indicate that they're interested in insurance-funded services. Um, and additionally, I would say if they have a recommendation for ABA from a doctor, that is tremendously helpful. So I know the recommendation can come from a doctor, but are there other individuals besides like a pediatrician who can make that recommendation? Yes, absolutely. Um, a lot of times we see the recommendations in the diagnostic report. Um, one of the first things we do when we get a diagnostic report is we, we flip to the very last page to see what is this doctor recommending, what is the actual diagnosis, um, and then we kind of read backwards um, because that's going to give us the information that we're looking for. Um, however, if it's not listed there, 
then oftentimes we can get that from the pediatrician or from a doctor that is treating the child. Fantastic. Well, like I said, we're right up against a commercial. So let's take a commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more with Crystal about the just the introduction to the insurance process, how to get things started, and then we're going to tackle open enrollment. We'll be right back after this break. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit AutismTherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, everyone. We're back to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Rob Haupt, and I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Crystal Bell, who is the client advocate uh, for insurance cases here at Autism Spectrum Therapies. Uh, Crystal, right before the break, you were talking about the recommendation from a doctor or a pediatrician. And and I know that's something that is always recommended. It always helps make things go through faster, but not uh, a necessity. Uh, you know, one of the things that I know families I've spoken to a lot is the treatment plan. I know the treatment plan is something that the insurance companies are looking for prior to funding the actual service. But is that something that a family needs to get up front or is that something that the agency can provide for them if they're interested in just obtaining services? Um, it, it, it is something that AST can absolutely provide. Um, a lot of the families that come to us through insurance, um, the first thing that we do is request to perform an assessment so that we can determine the treatment plan. And once the treatment plan is done and you've got um, – a recommendation. Are you finding, you know, the, the big factor that I feel like I've always seen, especially here in California, but I've seen it in other states too, is whether it be uh, an idea from a school or from the state of we have almost these preconceived notions of how many hours we're supposed to get. So a home program should always be this many hours or a school program should always be that many hours. Are we seeing those types of things from insurance or are you finding that it really is a case by case uh, based on the individual? It is based on the individual. Um, uh, a lot of it is their needs, um, the goals that are outlined in the treatment plan, um, and and if there is a recommendation for um, a certain number of hours from the pediatrician or from the diagnosing doctor, um, a lot of times they will say, you know, this child should receive 
no less than 25 hours per week. And in a situation like that, the insurance company mm. will approve no less than 25 hours per week. So it really helps, you know, if, if the BCBA and then the diagnosing physician are on the same page, it just adds to the validity of that recommendation for these guys, huh? Absolutely. Got it. That's really good. Um, you know, last question before we get into the open enrollment stuff is, um, I'm sure every family out there is thinking, is this going to take a really long time? How long should I anticipate this process taking? Are you finding that, you know, I know here in California, families used to tell me it would take three months sometimes to get into the system to get approved for any service. Is that something you're seeing with uh, the insurance companies or are they faster? Are they slower? What's the timetable looking like? Um, right now, it's. Um, I, I tell families it can be anywhere from two to six weeks. Um, when we initially started um, really, really handling a, ho- a high volume of cases, we found that a lot of the insurance companies were not prepared to take these requests. Right. Um, and now that we are five months into having this great mandate, now we're finding a lot of insurance companies are now starting to have a team of autism individuals that do nothing but read the requests, read the reports, and approve of the services. Yeah, and so I know California's gone through this huge change, but I, also thinking for, for all of our listeners out there who maybe are in New York, Louisiana, uh, Texas, are, are we, are, is that consistent? Is that two to six weeks consistent with other states? I know you deal with a lot of different insurance companies across the country. Um, it, it is. Um, we find here in California, because we have kind of hit our stride, um, we know the, that there are a couple of carriers where we are on a first-name basis with the case manager providing the approval. So oftentimes mm-hmm. we will bypass going through customer service and just get that person on the line. And in situations like that, you know, we can usually get an approval in place within a couple of days. Wow. Um, however, when we're dealing with an insurance company that we're not familiar with, um, such as, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Missouri. Um, then it does require us going through customer service, and oftentimes you're dealing with someone that doesn't really understand what you're requesting, so a lot of mm-hmm. times it ne- necessitates them having somebody call us back and provide us with the information about whether or not it's covered and how we obtain that approval. Got it. Okay. Well, let's talk uh, open enrollment. Because uh, that was the big topic that I think sparked for me uh, wanting to make sure you were on the show to talk to families because I know you started to get some calls and I started to get some calls over these last few weeks where families were asking or, or telling us how we need to handle a situation because their their employer was going through open enrollment and making some changes to the plans. Um, so from your experience, are there specific things – that a parent going through open enrollment um, should be looking at, uh, whether their plan is changing or maybe whether the, the assortment of plans are the same, what should families be looking at when selecting a plan? Um, I think certainly the, um, the costs associated with the plans. Um, things such as co-payments versus uh, coinsurance and deductibles mm-hmm. and out-of-pocket maximums. A copayment is a flat amount that would be charged once per day, regardless of the amount of hours provided. Whereas if you have a plan with coinsurance, then you're paying a percentage of the services that are provided. 
And it, it's a lot easier to predict what your costs are when you have a copayment as opposed to having a coinsurance and a deductible type plan. You know, one of the things I know um, when we did our talks over the summer and we were giving our workshops across uh, California and even a few of the ones we did out of state, this idea of reevaluating the premiums came up. The idea that with ABA, there's a higher likelihood of hitting your out-of-pocket max. And, and for anyone out there who doesn't know, uh, out-of-pocket max is the maximum amount of out-of-pocket expenses that you are responsible for under your plan. So that can include co-payments. That includes your deductible. It's anything you pay for out of your own pocket. It can exceed a certain number. So a concept is looking at what plan – maybe a plan has a slightly higher premium – but with a lower out-of-pocket max and adding those numbers together to say, I'm assuming with ABA being more frequent, I hit my out-of-pocket max after a certain number of weeks, and then I just paid my premiums and I'm no longer responsible for the copay. Is that something that is easy to figure out during open enrollment? Is that like who should a family ask to maybe learn more about that? Um, they should certainly speak with their human resources department. Um, and in addition to that, because I, I have had a couple of parents say, you know, they're not exactly comfortable walking into the human resources department or just, you know, if they only have one person that handles that type of thing, they're not comfortable going to that person. But another resource that parents may not know is available is the brokerage or the consultant that negotiated the policy on the behalf of the employer. A lot of times those brokers have an account management team that can assist mm. the family in finding out, okay, before I enroll in this program, is it going to cover and what is my out-of-pocket cost going to be? So with that, with that sense of a broker, is that someone else? I know we talk a lot about on the show, and, and I know you and I talk to parents all the time about the idea of fully funded versus self-funded and how the state mandates apply. Is that something they can ask them and say, let me ask very clearly, is ABA a covered benefit? Absolutely. Absolutely. They are the people that are actually putting the plans together and negotiating between the insurance company and the employer. So if the employer says, you know, I do want to provide this coverage, the broker is the one that's going to be putting that plan together. Fantastic. Because I know that that seems to be the big question is, am I going to be covered are we going to have this? And I know, obviously, I know you verify benefits for people, but that could take a day, two days. Um, and, I, and I do feel like sometimes going to the, the, the plan creators could probably save time. Or at least you get – and if you're not covered, you can kind of get a why. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And another thing is, is a lot of parents do call us and say, well, I will be enrolling in this plan. Can you tell me if it's going to cover ABA? And unfortunately, mm. the insurance company won't. If you're not an active member, then they can't provide any policy information. So it's a great resource to be able to go to the people that are actually putting the policy together to say, hey, is this going to be covered under this plan? Got it. That's a really good point. I didn't even think of that myself. You know, are there, when they're looking at plans, Yeah, it sounds like we've identified the who. If a parent out there is thinking, okay, I've got open enrollment and I need to know more about my plan, if they're not comfortable speaking to the folks at HR, talking to the people who develop the plan or the broker. Besides 
what is ABA or sorry, besides is ABA covered? I don't think they're going to know what is ABA. Um, are there other questions that uh, they should ask? And since they probably don't know what ABA is, should they should a family bring in any documents maybe to point this broker in the right direction of what they're looking for? Absolutely. If if um, if it becomes a situation where um, the broker is having trouble understanding, um, that's where I would love to get involved and be able to say, okay, this is what we're looking at. These are the common procedural terminology codes that we would mm-hmm. bill these services under. This is how we provide it. Um, I would love to be that person that kind of provides the information that they would need in order to make an accurate determination if it's mm-hmm. going to be a covered service. And just to make sure, I, I, I know one of the things that's confusing for us as um, behavior analysts and providers is that obviously, unlike speech and unlike other uh, therapies out there, we don't yet have consistent codes from company to company. Correct. So anyone out there who's going to give you a call uh, shouldn't be surprised if there is a if United Behavioral Health has a different set of codes than Cigna. And they have potentially a different set of codes than Aetna. It's it's just the nature of uh, the inconsistencies in the AMA code so far, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely, absolutely. Um. So, I one situation that came up recently that I was kind of curious about, and I wanted to get your take on, was a family called up and said, "My my company is offering." different types of plans through different insurance companies. So I, I've always worked someplace where every offer, every plan offered has been offered by the same company. When I was in Massachusetts, I'm pretty sure we had Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts and four plans to choose from. Right. Is it common to have different companies providing different plans? Um, and is there something a family should be concerned about if that's the case? Um, certainly, employers offer multiple plans because um, oftentimes they have a population whose needs just can't be met with one single plan or carrier. Um, so you'll also see a lot of times, you know, the employer will pay for a larger portion of the HMO than they would for a PPO plan, um, and that's typically because an HMO is more cost-effective and the premiums are uh, – they are – they're not a lot less, but, you know, they, they tend to be less than a PPO. Um, however, with a PPO, you have a little bit more flexibility in that you can self-direct your care. And as long as you stay within a network, your, um, are, your services are covered at a predictable rate, um, whereas with an HMO, you have what is called a gatekeeper, which kind of is the person that directs your care. If you need to see a specialist, you need to first go to your primary care physician, and that person would then make a referral under a PPO-type plan, you can basically say, okay, I need to see a podiatrist and look up a podiatrist in the book and um, directly seek that care. Um, so and a lot of companies will also provide multiple carriers as opposed, in addition to multiple plans so that um, they can also have um, better geographic coverage for their employees. Mm. They have employees um, nationwide um, you know, um, something like Kaiser may not work very well, whereas United Healthcare will. Um, however, you may have a population that loves Kaiser, so 
So um, that's oftentimes why uh, employers offer a variety of plans. So you may see an employer, like if, again, Kaiser, something that's much larger here in the state of California on the West Coast, uh, growing up, I don't, I don't think Kaiser ever came up in New York where I grew up. Right. Um, so you may see an HMO plan offered by a company by Kaiser um, and then a PPO potentially offered by a company that is more of a national name that is across 50 states, maybe like a Cigna, where uh, the Kaiser has this large local network where Cigna maybe gives you broader options since you have more options under a PPO compared to an HMO. Right, right. Got it. Well, that's a, a good point for us to pause. Um, when we come back from a break, I actually have one more HMO question, specifically as it applies to ABA, um, to, to finish up this thought. So let's take this commercial break, and then we'll talk a little bit more about HMOs. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health & Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit AutismTherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. We are talking insurance. We are trying to make sense of this dense, dense subject matter, which is insurance funding, ABA services. And we're joined by the client advocate at Autism Spectrum Therapies, Crystal Bell, who deals with this every day, is calling on family's behalf every single day, uh, trying to make sense of their plan uh, and making sure that they have the approvals and the authorizations for the services that their kids need. Crystal, right before the break, you mentioned uh, the distinction between HMO and PPO. And one of the things I know that I learned, which I think is so cool, is that go I, I most of my life have been under an HMO plan. Um, I can't tell you the last time I was under a PPO. It's been it's been a while, and so I, I'm really familiar with the um, going to a doctor, going to my primary care physician, getting the referral to see that specialist. Um, but that's not always needed in ABA, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, as long as you go in network, a family can go find anyone in network on their own, right? Right, absolutely. So I think that's a, a really good thing that I know a lot of families haven't been as clear with. They're thinking you're going to the, the maybe your primary care physician for the diagnosis, but they don't necessarily have to refer the service. It just makes things easier. It makes things go faster, correct? Right, absolutely. 
Um, right now, the insurance companies, um, the mandates, because it is so new, the insurance companies know that they are required to provide the coverage. Mm-hmm. So at this point, it's really kind of difficult for them to put that responsibility onto the primary care physician. It would just mm-hmm. require too much renegotiating of those mm-hmm. contracts in order to make that happen. So they have negotiated with ABA providers to become parts of their network, and um, once you get in through the behavioral health side of your insurance company, then they know exactly who to direct you to to get you those approvals. Um, and I know, are there, if a family out there has said, okay, I've already got the diagnosis, I've already got all my paperwork, I've gone through my open enrollment, and I understand my plan really well, uh, is there a good uh, point of contact or a good way for them to figure out who that network of ABA providers would be that they could access? Yes, there, there should be a, um, most ID cards will have a, a series of numbers. Um, mm-hmm. There's a customer service number, there's a pre-authorization number, and oftentimes you'll see um, a mental health or behavioral health 800 number. Mm-hmm. And that's the best resource to find out, okay, um, I have this diagnosis. I would like to get coverage for ABA therapy for my child um, who is in network with my plan. And those, those people at that number can best direct the family and let them know who is within their geographic region that can provide the services. Got it. Um, you know, one more open enrollment question because I, th- I think this is one that, I was probably more concerned with. I don't know if I've had a family ask me this yet, but I'm sure it's something that a lot of us are thinking mm-hmm. is employer switch carriers. Um, you could very easily go from one carrier to another. I know, you know, at AST, we did that a few years ago. We switched from one insurance carrier um, and moved our plan over to another. How much how much information is going to go from carrier A to B about someone's child? Um, how much about will this new plan have information about the history of programming for the child? And probably more importantly, um, how does a family ensure that there's no interruption in service when a transition like this happens? That's a great question um, because the new plan will not have any information about the current program. Um, And the reason for that is um, the prior insurance company cannot provide that information without a consent. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is going to involve the family basically um, calling my department and saying, hey, um, heads up, I'm switching plans January 1, um, and as soon as I get the newest information, my ID card and member ID, um, I'm going to call you back and get you that information so that you can get services in place to hopefully avoid a gap. Um, Because another thing that I anticipate, um, and we've actually already seen it, we have had a couple of families call us and tell us that they are switching plans. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, without your member ID information, um, and a lot of times the insurance companies don't provide it until a week or two before the effective date of the plan, Again, we can't confirm benefits and we can't get a treatment plan in place because they don't have that new member in their system yet. Mm. So it's, it's very much um, a situation that we would like to stay on top of so that we can't avoid any, any gaps or interruptions in services. So I would, I would recommend any families that are aware that their plan is changing to let us know. 
So if you are, you know, thinking, thinking broader, thinking broader than just, you know, the kids that you come into contact with and that I come into contact with, you know, I know if, if you've got services in place, would a family, would a family expect or, or should they expect any overlap? So uh, like a handoff, I know that if you move from one school to another, even if you move out of state, you're entitled uh, underneath your IEP uh, a 30-day carryover that my services stay the same as they were in a prior IEP um, until a new IEP can be held in my new school, in my new city, in my new area. It, would an insurance company do something like that where the, the new plan kicked in on January 1st but the old plan would give you an extra 30 days or is it literally the day the plan is done the coverage is done? Um, the, the new plan should have a provision for continuity of care. And okay. um, so that would be one of the first things to look into is, um, okay, how do I request a continuity of care? Um, mm. Because at this point I don't yet have the, um, the information as to um, this is the treatment plan that was in place with the old carrier. Right. The new carrier is reviewing it. Um, for approval, but in the meantime, what do I do? So there is something called continuity of care where um, the insurance company that is taking over the services is required to provide um, a grace period so that you mm. can basically get your services switched over. If, if your new plan, let's say, um, your current provider is not in network with your new plan, then that continuity of care allows you to continue your services while you get with a provider that is in the network. So a family needs to really look to the new plan for that coverage or for uh, assisting in that gap. Um, but I, you brought up a point that I think is really important is, but that new plan doesn't automatically have to cover your provider if they're out of their network. Correct. So there could be, a family should be aware of looking at if their employer is switching plans, they really need to look to see who that network is and not just assume, hey, my provider was in network with my old plan. Of course, they'll be in network with my new plan. Right. Got it. Um, I wanted to take a, a little bit of time uh, before before we end and, and talk a little bit about the appeals process, because I know that's something that uh, I, I feel like I don't know enough about. I know you teach me a lot, and <laughs> I know we're, we're learning a lot all the time. Um, but I was curious, you know, whether it be in this open enrollment time where there could be, uh, as families change, there may be denials coming, or mm -hmm. someone who's brand new midway through uh, any denial that they may get, you know, are there initial steps if a family gets a denial, uh, whether it be open enrollment or, or just in, within their services, um, that they should be taking? Like, what are those first things a family should try and do? Um, well, the first thing I always do is I read the letter in its entirety. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the reason I say that is because the insurance companies are required to, you know, if they're going to deny services, they're required to provide information on how you can appeal and what the procedure is and what you can expect. Um, and if the denial is upheld, here in California, if a request is denied and appealed twice with no resolution, 
the matter can then be taken to the Department of Managed Health Care if it's an HMO or the Department of Insurance if it is um, an insurance product. Um, and at that point, they can request an independent medical review. Um, and the independent medical review will review all treatment plan diagnostic information, and they actually have the authority to overturn a denial and require the insurance company to cover the services. So um, I always say, you know, just make sure that you are, you are um, in tune with exactly what that process is. Do you have to wait? the two appeals to go to the um, independent medical review, or is that something a family could elect to do um, right away? They can certainly request an independent medical review at any time. Um, However, from experience, we've found that um, oftentimes the Department of Insurance or the Department of Managed Health Care has come back and said, you know, we understand you'd like an independent medical review, but we Mm. feel that you should first appeal. So they want you to go through that this process step by step first. Yes. Got it. That's that's good for families to know out there. And I know I know we have done so much work with California, but I know you've you've submitted some appeals in some other states as well. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming that that step, whether it be um, maybe the players are different, maybe it's not the Department of Managed Healthcare, maybe it's a different entity. But I'm assuming whether you're in the state of Texas, whether you're in the state of Missouri. Um, each state has their own guidelines that would be clearly outlined in a denial letter as well, right? Correct. Okay. So just want to make sure because I know, I know we've got listeners all across the country who who maybe don't have uh, the exact same process, but I want people to know that a lot of these concepts are are the same. Maybe it's just the the number or the people right. are slightly different. Right. Um. Well, I, I have. A few more appeal questions for you, but I want to give you the, the time to really be able to answer them and give everyone the, the real insight from your knowledge. So let's take our last commercial break, and then we're going to come back and finish up with a couple of appeal questions before we close out the show. So we'll be right back after this. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, Back to the program. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Rob Haupt, and we are talking insurance. Uh, I'm joined by Crystal Bell, the client advocate here at Autism Spectrum Therapies. Um, and right before the break, we, we started to get into, I don't know if you want to say the scary topic, the intimidating topic of the appeals and denials process, which I think is really important for us to understand. And one of the things I like about the the subject and, and of insurance and, and of the mandate is that, you know, as I said right before the break, things overlap. Um, it may be that it's called the Department of Managed Healthcare here in California, but that same group exists in another state, just has a different name. Um, you just need to, you know, follow the step by step, really re- read your letters. Um, I thought that was actually f- probably the best advice you could have given Crystal is reading the appeal letter because sometimes we take for granted what's going to be in it rather than really read word for word what this is, think it through, and then maybe have a conversation with either your provider or with some other expert or advocate on, on what it says and what it means. Um, you know, one of the things that I was curious about is the different reasons for appeals. Um, I know you've seen a ton and I know there, there are a lot of different reasons. So rather than focus on all the different reasons you've been given for a a denial and, and that then become the grounds of appeal, I figure let's go the opposite direction. Are there specific things that cannot be appealed? Um, yeah, I would say if if the plan is self-funded, um, appealing pretty much, you know, it, it's kind of an exercise in futility because mm-hmm. there's no um, there's no governing body that is going to come back and um, you know make an unbiased decision. It's well, you know, basically it's it's the insurance company saying, um, sorry, it's, it's not in our policy and we are um, not governed by the Department of Insurance. So mm-hmm. um, it is what it is. So the real key is making sure that there's some sort of governing body who ultimately oversees the plan. Like that's where the foundation of the appeal process comes from. Correct. Got it. See, and that's something that I feel like after a year and a half, I'm just getting. Obviously, I've known the self-funded piece, but essentially the employer is the governing body of their own plan and what they write as the plan and what they choose to fund versus not fund. That's what it is. Right. Can a family, I I know you've given this advice before and I think it's great for people to hear it. How viable if if a family is under a self-insured plan and they say, you know, I really feel like we need ABA. My children need it. This is good for all kids of the employees who work here, how important or how effective is it to go to HR and say, this is something I think needs to be in our plan in the future? I think it absolutely is. Um, I think that, um, you know, sometimes people lose sight of the fact that um, they're called benefits. Um, Health plans are provided to benefit um, the employer's employees um, to provide care for their family. So I've, I've found that in a couple of instances um, when we ran up into a self-funded plan that did not cover ABA, um, mm-hmm. a couple of families were able to go to their human resources department and say, I have this need and my plan does not fill this need. Um, can you help me? And in a couple of instances, exceptions were made. And in a couple mm-hmm. of instances, they addressed it through updating the policy to include the coverage. So, so I think it's it's definitely something that, you know, is worth mentioning. 
That's a great point. That benefits are supposed to actually benefit the employee. I don't. Right. It, it, it makes so much sense, and I don't think I really thought of it. Um, you know, we talked before about how long the authorization process could take and, and what that turnaround is. Uh, if a family is going through appeals process, what kind of turnaround could they anticipate um, going through? How quick or how long would a response or decision take? Right. Um, once an appeal has been submitted, the insurance company has 30 days to respond. If it's denied a second time and appealed a second time, then they have another 30 days to respond. Mm-hmm. So um, you're looking at, and, and here in California, again, um, at that point, a family can then go to the either the Department of Insurance or the Department of Managed Health Care and request an uh, independent medical review, which could then be another 30 to 90 days, depending on the volume of independent medical reviews that they're currently working on. So it can sometimes be a long, drawn-out process, but Mm -hmm. given the fact that we have had some success on appeals, um, I think it's worth it to, you know, to go through the process. Now, when you say, I know you mentioned 30 days, maybe 90 days. Right. Is that 30 calendar days? Is it 30 business days? I know that distinction means a lot more in this insurance world. Right, right. And it is it is typically 30 calendar days. However, okay. we did run into one in Texas that was um, 30 business days. Got it. Okay. Got it. Got it. I know we've we've run into a few odd scenarios along the way. So I was I was curious. Got it. Um, well, we're coming to the end of the show. And I, I was curious. You know, I know. I know. We actually had one mom say it to you recently. How much she she appreciates just the, the time you gave her, and how she, you know, really wanted to sit down, pick your brain over a cup of coffee and a bagel. Um, but are there are there three top things that you would say if you're brand new to this? These are the three things for any parent out there in any state that they really should keep in mind or really need to, to understand as they start this process? Yes, absolutely. Um, I would say first and foremost, get involved. We have the best results when parents are involved in the process. Um, some of the parents want to know, okay, um, when did you submit the report and who did you send it to because I want to follow up. And we found that we actually get much better results, much quicker from the insurance company if they know that the parent's going to follow up with them. Um, secondly, and and I have to say after meeting Dina, who is a wonderful parent and um, wonderful advocate for her child, um, I realized the importance of community in what mm-hmm. we do. Um, she was a tremendous advocate for her child, and she really took the time to educate me on what was important to her and made mm-hmm. me realize that there is a large community of autism professionals and resources and other parents, and she seems to know them all. Um, and she has read so many books, and she recommends books to other parents um, that I, I think community is just, it, that's my buzzword, is, is um, just staying out there and, and talking with other parents and getting as much information as you can and sharing that information. And I would say, lastly, um, just being aware of the differences between um, the previous funding sources, such as regional centers, um, and the new ones that are offered through insurance, because it seems to me that 
with insurance, we have a lot more flexibility Mm -hmm. um, in in determining where that treatment is headed. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think that's, you know, to reiterate the the second piece, I I think the community piece and this teamwork piece is so huge. It's amazing to me how the results, when, when we're submitting something to a group that we've worked with, we've collaborated with, we've spoken to on, you know, kid after kid after kid, uh, approval after approval, it goes so much smoother when there's that parent piece. And I know a lot of parents have said to us that they've tried to call themselves, but to have that organized um, process of this is what we submit, who we submit it to, the timing of everything that we provide, when those two go together, it just maximizes the effectiveness. It really Um, does. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show today. I think you've you've given some great information to all of our listeners out there um, and really just given us some guidance as we look into this this next step because I think open enrollment is the piece of funding that that we really haven't understood um, or we I think maybe not understood but haven't considered. I know a lot of families, it snuck up on them. I know in some ways – it, it kind of snuck up on me even of, <laughs> oh, that's right. We have to we have to plan for this. We need to think about this. Right. So it, it really articulates just how new this all is. Right. Um, and I know that uh, Crystal said it many times, but I just want to reiterate the sentiment. And uh, we've played the more info at autismtherapies.com uh, quite a few times during the breaks. If you guys are out there, if you have questions, even if you, you're in another state, you don't have uh, – services through us, but you just have a general insurance question. Uh, I know Crystal and myself are, are both really happy to, to help and to answer um, and give you some guidance into the process because this is new. And this is something that we're all learning from. And I think I, I've seen for this last year that the world is changing and the way we go about getting services, the way services get approved, um, the quality of services are all being impacted uh, by the insurance mandates. And there's some some cons that come along with it. And I, I've heard from a lot of families what those are. But there are a ton of pros out there that I've seen as well. So I think us coming together as a community, just like on every other topic, but especially this one, really drives where we're going to go, drives the type of services we're going to get. Uh, I, I pledge to all of you out there that if you've got insurance questions and they're not formulated yet, but you just need resources, keep coming to our website, keep coming to our Facebook page. We're going to be updating a lot more content in the, the coming months. Um, there's some, some good tip sheets as well as some videos up there about understanding the basics of each mandate. Um, and as I said, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to us at uh, moreinfo at autismtherapies.com because uh, I think there's a lot of answers that we could provide you and help you with to really ease some of the stress that you are likely going through if you're going through insurance for the first time. Um, Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, Join us next week. We're going to have another guest uh, talking actually about uh, adult services and uh, really looking at the uh, transition process as our kids get a little bit older. I know it's a topic everyone is really interested in and curious about as uh, as they look at their kids getting older. So tune in next week, and we'll see you later. Have a great one. We hope you've had some questions about autism answered this week. 
Autism Spectrum Radio can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join us for another edition next week.